0: Hello and welcome back to the Men You Are Not Alone podcast. Today is January 15th of 2022. And this is an unconventional podcast episode for me. And it is only at the suggestion of one of my dearest friends in the world. In fact, my dearest friend in the world who shall remain anonymous. And I wish to God I could put him on this podcast, but the distance separates us too much to get any audio quality. He is probably one of the wisest men I know, and I am blessed to call him my best friend. At 52, maybe you're not supposed to have a best friend, but I I really don't care. He is my best friend, and he has been wise counsel to me for many, many, many years. And um, in a phone conversation that we had, gosh, probably two months ago, Maybe longer than that. It may have been right after I started this podcast. We've known each other for decades, quite a few decades. He listened to the first episode. I know he listens to this, so don't let your head get big because I think you're that wise. But he had mentioned that, that, you know, stories of especially things outdoors, like I had mentioned, I, th- I believe it was maybe my first podcast episode that I mentioned that I have been, you know, dragged in my sleeping bag by a bear. I've been hit by lightning. Uh, those kind of stories resonate with men. And I know they do because I share them in person sometimes. I just, as a matter of practice, I do not enjoy talking about myself. And actually, for most of my life, I figured I had the life I've lived is a fairly normal life to most men and over the past uh four or five years i would say it has really dawned on me that the life i've been blessed to live is not necessarily an ordinary life and it's one of the things that makes me rich my children make me a very wealthy man and my relationships make me a very wealthy man and then also the path that I've walked through life as jumbled and as crooked as it might seem to the outside observer. With the benefit of hindsight, I do see what it has added to me. And, and in my book, I do touch a little bit more on some of my own personal story. But I don't... Um, I don't know. I guess it's kind of cool at some point you know, I've said this before I'm 52 years old and I look back now at my life and I realize that it has not been necessarily a conventional life that I have lived and maybe I have lived a few lifetimes a few uh, a few full lifetimes in the span of my 52 years as far as financial wealth I don't have any as far as experience goes I have an abundant Wealth of experience that is a dynamic I could not have assembled on the best of days. And I it always seemed like a dis disjointed mess. And I'm only saying this because there are going to be those of you who listen who believe that your life is a disjointed mess. And I I don't believe that's the case for any of us. Uh, I am a Christian. I do love Jesus with everything I am. And that's not for sale. That's not for question. That's not. I've passed those years. I have. Questioned things ag nauseum. And I have run through. The search. And I have done it with diligence. Exceeding diligence. And I am at peace with what I believe and why I believe it. And I'm, I'm capable of explaining that to people, even though most people don't want to hear it because it might challenge what they believe or or challenge their fixed position in life. And that's okay. That's their journey. That's not mine. So anyway, at the request of my dear friend, I won't even make up a name for him. How about Putts? At the request of my dear friend Putz, he uh, he spurred me to make an episode that is absolutely not what I intended this this podcast to be. This is about helping men, other men, not just myself. Actually, not myself. This is about taking the bruises and bumps and the things that I've learned from other men that other men have taught me and using it to help other men do well and to make it through storms. So I will just stick to the two things that that I mentioned in either my first or one of my early podcast episodes about being drugged by a bear and hit by lightning. Because apparently those are not common instances in people's growing up or their lively their life. Um, so anyway, just, so to start with the bear, I realized that my good friend, Senor Putts did not know about either of those things. And that's about how much I like to talk about my own personal life with others. And I would say I probably talk about my personal life with him more than I do anybody else in the world. So the fact that I have never relayed those two stories to him, I'm just humoring him. So uh, I, I grew up out west in Colorado. And I, in my book, if you if you want to buy it, it's finally – I've been meaning to say this for a while. So my book that I wrote, when I first put it on Amazon, I tried to make it free. Amazon would not let me make it free. I had to have a minimum price of just under $10. I wanted to sell it for cost because I don't care if I get a dime from it. That's not why I wrote it. It is finally low priced. So it's like three bucks now. So if you want to buy a copy of it, you can actually buy a copy on Amazon cheaper than I can buy a copy as the person who uploaded it. So it's cheaper for me to buy it as a customer than it is for me to buy it as the author. So if you want to buy it for really cheap, you can do that right now. And hopefully it doesn't sell a whole bunch so that the price stays down because I can't control the price. I learned that with Amazon. I can't make it um, exceedingly cheap. And so anyway, so as far as the bear goes, let's see. um, I left Colorado when I was 30. But I moved there when I was four. My parents moved me there when I was four. And my life, pretty much, I would say if I were to grab one word that described my life from four to 30, it would be adventure. And it was rugged and it was vast. And Colorado had not boomed at that point. Um, In Fort Collins, uh, when we moved there, Fort Collins, I believe, had a population of about 44,000 people, if I remember the census data from years ago. And so it was a small, rural, agricultural town with a university, with Colorado State University there. And roughly 20,000 kids came to school there. So when when school was in session, the population, it didn't double, but it sure as hell looked like it. And it was such a young town. It was young and vibrant. And I got to grow up in a place that I knew it was really good. But I had only with hindsight do I realize how absolutely awesome my growing up was. So I'm going to leave most of the details. You can buy my book and read it and, and get a little bit of backstory. But the natural world has always been a huge part of uh, who I am and my passion for life and honestly, my connection to God. Uh, is largely, or it's comprised. A, a a decent proportion of it is comprised of uh, participating in touching, smelling, seeing the natural world, because I I am part of the world that makes man made things. I build houses for a living. Um, I don't actually build them. I'm a project manager. I just coordinate chaos. It's like coordinating a traffic accident while it's happening. And that's what my life is every day. And so I coordinate a thousand moving pieces at any given moment that are absolute chaos. And I try to put them into some kind of shape and then we sell it to people. But I love the natural world because to me it is soothing. It has a natural rhythm to it. Something tells me there is a physiological nature to it for those of you who are science nerds uh, I'm just telling you I have yet to see the man to have seen the man over the decades who did not calm his spirit did not settle when detached from the man made world and inserted into the natural world for an extended period of time there is nothing like it and I have not seen things that change a man more than extended periods of time in the natural world away from all things that are man-made. And I've seen it for decades. So it's not some whimsical shooting from the hip observation. It is profoundly observable and it has a profound impact on men's lives. So anyway, by the time I turned 16 and I could drive, I had already spent a ton of time in the mountains uh, because they're, they're Fort Collins, Colorado is right at the base of the foothills of the Rockies. And we lived right at the base of the foothills of the Rockies. And so even when I was a kid and I could ride just my BMX bike and I rode my bike every day as hard as I could ride, as far as I could ride, I loved riding a bicycle. It was wings to me. It was like getting a pilot's license when I learned how to ride a bike. And I was probably... I don't know, six, something like that, five. And we, every chance we got, we would ride west and we would ride up to Horsetooth Reservoir or Bellevue or even out to Wellington, um, which would probably terrify my parents had they known that at the time that we were riding down highways with no shoulder and uh, riding down Horsetooth <clears throat> back when it was just a bumpy, terrible dirt road. Uh, it really wasn't a road uh, many years ago back in the 70s. It was terrifying and dangerous. And, and, but that's, that's where we wanted to be. And so I don't know how old I was. I would guess probably in my early 20s, mid-20s, something like that. Most of the time, if I wasn't working auctions, you could find me in the mountains. And that was, and I would go by myself. If nobody wanted to go, it didn't bother me. I would go. I was going anyway. The one place I felt at home and at peace and never scared was the mountains. And they are vast and they are rugged. And if you are from the South, I live in the South now. I understand that men in the South can't understand vast and rugged. You have to take them to it. And that's no fault of theirs. They just don't have access to it here. And But when you take a man and you put him in it, it changes a man. It, it makes God suddenly not such a wacky idea. When you look at the beauty of creation and the organization of it and the harmony of it, you realize it's not random chance. It's not evolution. It's That's all BS. And it's easy to say from a classroom or from behind a microphone or sitting and making a video with no life experience to say that it's all just random chance. That's that's a bunch of hooey. Show me a man who's who's walked a thousand miles through the wilderness and thinks that God doesn't exist, and then I'll talk to him. But those aren't the people that I meet who think that God doesn't exist or the natural world is just just sheer perfect pristine order born out of absolute chaos. Sorry about the tangent. This is not something I had intended to do. Um, so anyway, so I would always go camping or backpacking. There's still a lot of people who would not recognize me without a fedora and a fly rod in my hand and a backpack on my back because that's the way I lived for decades. And, um, I used to go, when I went camping, most of the time I didn't take a tent. I just carried a piece of canvas with me and I would wrap it around. I I still have the sleeping bag that will survive anything. It's, uh, I don't know who makes it. It was the Everest. It was uh, one of the bags that was carried to Mount Everest that kept men alive on Mount Everest. And that bag is absolutely freaking awesome. Um, It has not been made for (laughs) decades Um, That bag has gotten me through exceedingly bad blizzards of sleeping on the ground, uh, waking up under 18 inches of snow above my head with no tent. But I used to carry a piece of canvas with me, and I would just lay it on the ground next to the fire. I'd build a fire somewhere. And I don't mean this isn't like a campground. I mean this is remote. This is out in the middle of nowhere, which if you have not lived in it or been in it, it's it's not a campground. If you're in the south or the northeast or something like that, it is remote. It is nothing like a campground. It is the kind of place where if you cause an arterial bleed, you're going to die. Uh, if you panic, you're going to die. If you break an ankle, you're not getting out. If you uh, if if you have poor judgment, you probably won't make it out. So anyway, so I would go to these places and and carry my piece of canvas in my sleeping bag. And I would, I would build a fire and sleep next to it and fold the canvas up over my bag and then pull it up over my head. And it would make like a little air pocket that I could sleep with. Um, And I had a mummy bag. The Everest was a mummy bag. And, and so the, but the, the canvas served more the purpose of keeping the coals from ruining my bag because I didn't have much money. So at the time, that Everest bag was probably north of $200. And this is back in probably 89, 90, 91, somewhere in that area. It's a boatload. I would guess probably the equivalent of buying a $500 sleeping bag right now. And when you're working for 250 an hour, that's a tremendous amount of money. And But that bag was my lifeline for what I enjoyed doing. So anyway, so one night I was up had uh, the closest reference I can think of is Steamboat, uh Steamboat Springs in Colorado, which has kind of become a town it used to not be. It used to be in the middle of nowhere. It was brutal to get to in the winter time. Uh and once you headed north out of north or northwest um toward uh Hans Peak. I think is if I remember right, Hans Peak is north or northwest of Steamboat. Anyway, I had to, I headed way out into Route National Forest, um, and I believe I was probably in Wyoming, and sleeping next to the fire. And it was late at night. I don't even know, probably two or three in the morning, one in the morning. I don't know. Pitch black out. Which if you do not spend much time outside, when it's dark outside in remote areas, it's dark. It's pitch black. If you do any caving, it's Pretty similar to that uh, when you turn your headlamp off. Um, Anyway, so uh, the fire had died down. It was gone. um, And I was asleep in my bag. It was exceedingly cold outside. I don't know how cold. I would guess 10 degrees or less. And I woke up being dragged into the woods. And I was being jerked into the woods. So whatever it was, was grunting and jerking. And it was... Me in my sleeping bag in my mummy bag. If you've ever been in a mummy bag when it's super super cold, you cannot let hardly anything except your mouth be exposed. So you you crank the bag down to where there's only a hole that allows like your nose and your mouth to be exposed. And that's what I was doing. And it's it's absolutely freezing out. Uh, it wasn't snowing or raining. It was totally dry, pitch black, and I'm being drugged through the woods. I'm by myself and I can hear this thing grunting. So um, it scared the crap out of me because I had no idea. I mean, I just come out of sleep. I was exhausted. Um, I have no idea what's going on. So it takes me a minute to get, you know, the my my face, the string on, you know, loosened up from around my face so I can at least see what's going on, get the bag unzipped. And I sat up and there's a bear at the end of my sleeping bag and it's a cub not a baby but it's probably i mean it might have been a yearling I, I don't know you know i don't know the i don't know the the aging process of a bear all i know is it was a bear and you know probably just under a year would be my guess maybe 7 8 months 9 months and it had it didn't know i was in the sleeping bag it just found that piece of canvas and it was squishy because my sleeping bag was inside of it It was a giant squishy toy. So um, it had decided to get a hold of it. But when I sat up, it was in the middle of jerking my sleeping bag. So every time it jerked on the it was biting the canvas, which had my bag in it and it would jerk and it would grunt while it did it. And it was jerking backwards, like pulling me backwards like a dog if you've ever taken a rope or a sock and you 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 let your dog grab a hold of it and the dog the dog will grunt and jerk trying to get the sock from you that's exactly what this bear was doing except it was me inside the sleeping bag inside the canvas and it was just pulling me I mean I was gone from the fire and it was dragging me through the woods because it thought it was something fun well I sat up and it pissed me off so you know, I start screaming at this bear because it's woken me up now. And I see a baby bear. And the first thing, if you've ever been around bears, is when you see young bears, you think, where the heck is mom or dad? Because I don't want to dance with them. A cub is no big deal. I mean, they spook easy. They're kind of goofy and funny. They're like a calf. They kind of run into things and stumble around like a puppy. But the problem is they're usually not that far from their parents, usually their mother. And they're just, Not something you want to dance with, especially when you can barely make out that it's a bear. You're not sure how far you are away from um, the fire, anything. I didn't have a weapon on me at the time. Uh, Most of the time I traveled without one. And uh, you just it's just kind of a comical moment. So anyway, so that's when I got dragged by a bear the minute I sat up and he finished his jerk on my sleeping bag to drag me like another three feet. I just remember staring at the face of that young bear. And it was like uh, one of those moments where things go really uh, slow motion, like where we both looked at each other and we were both just as surprised to see each other. And he realized that there was a human in the bag in the big fluffy toy that he was pulling on. And so he bolted, um, I sat there waiting to get mauled by a mother bear or uh, I mean, these are just black bears, thankfully not grizzly bears, but I was just sitting there waiting to die from being beat to death by the mother black bear, but that didn't happen, thankfully. So after a minute or two, I just grabbed my stuff and dragged myself back over to the campsite Um, where I had my fire built the fire back up, got it nice and big. I went back to sleep. And anyway, so that was that one. It's when I got dragged by a bear. Um, as far as the lightning goes, that was in probably about 92, 1992, somewhere in that neighborhood. I think it was, uh, one of my many years I got paid to be a cowboy for the government of all places. So I was out on the Pawnee grassland. Um, and it was just a it was a seasonal gig. I worked if you've never come out of the, the field of natural resources in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, it was uh, constant full time temporary gigs and. And I wasn't supposed to work for multiple agencies. That was some kind of violation of federal policy or something like that. But I were I always worked for more than, not always, most of the time I worked for more than one federal agency at the same time. I just worked a lot of hours. I worked a lot of jobs. And so it, that was with the, the uh, Agricultural Research Service. But at the same time I was working for the U.S. Forest Service, Um, Both of them were temporary full-time gigs. I just worked a lot of hours. Anyway, so I was a cowboy at that time on a 27,000-acre ranch out on the Pawnee grassland. And it was a very remote station, like remote enough that eventually, after like days of not seeing anybody, if I saw dust on the horizon, I would think that might be somebody that's driving down a road. And so I would go out at the end of the drive of this research station and, uh, hope that somebody drove by just so I could see a face. Anyway, so I, uh, there was a little shop there, like a garage where we would change tires because the place was full of cactus. So we were constantly patching tires and repairing tires and there was a tire machine there and I was doing something. I think I was changing the brakes. I had a little Toyota uh, it was the first year of the Forerunner. It was a Winnebago conversion of a Toyota pickup. It wasn't a, called a Tacoma at the time. It was just like an 81 Toyota pickup. And it was a Winnebago conversion that had like a shell and it was finished a little bit inside. It was the predecessor of what became the Forerunner, And um, I had gutted the thing and kind of made it my own. Anyway, I think I was changing the brakes on it because there's nothing else to do. You know, I mean, I'd cowboy during the day and then the guys would go home at 3.30 or four o'clock. They'd all leave and everybody lived hell and gone from the ranch and they would drive 45 minutes back to town or whatever. And I lived on the ranch by myself out on the Pawnee grasslands that would it just around the town of Nunn, Colorado. Like N U N N, I think it's N U N N. It's just a spot on the road, or it used to be. Maybe now it's a booming metropolis, but it used to be just a few buildings and and that was it, and a payphone. So I was working on my brakes in this little garage thing. It was literally like a double car garage. That's about the best way to explain it. Just an old building. And thunderstorms out there, it's really cool if you've never been out on the Pawnee or the just in the, the plains. Like you can see storms coming from 60, 70, 80 miles away. You can watch thunderheads build. It's one of the things I miss uh, being in Tennessee is Tennessee is full of trees. You don't see the horizon. You don't see at any distance. When I was back out west, you can see forever. And so you can see storms coming. You understand the weather. You know where it's going to go. You know when it's going to get to you. Anything like that. But there's a tremendous amount of lightning uh, that that shows up in those thunderheads out there. Hail, lightning, things like that. And you can see it coming, so you're well prepared for it when he gets there. So, anyway, yeah, I was working on my pickup and kind of just sort of enjoying that I had something to do. And uh, I did not pay attention to the weather. Some really bad storms came in. And I had the the door open for the – it was a garage door. Uh, it was two doors that opened like bifold, like, uh, they opened like, uh, they opened like a regular door. It was double doors, but they opened, they didn't open like a garage door where it opens up. They opened out, uh, like wings. And so it was just an old building and, and I, I could hear the thunder as the storm approached. And I just kept working on my pickup. I had some music playing. I was just enjoying it. I'm in my 20s, probably drinking a few beers. And just kind of in that zone where, like, I know what I'm doing on my pickup. If you're a dude, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Where Life seems good at that moment. Like, you've got a project. You've got some music on that you like. Life is relaxed. Stuff like that. Well, the Thunder kept getting closer and closer, and the Lightning, and it's let me add this little caveat. So I've always been kind of a lightning rod. Um, When I worked on the Pawnee, I spent seven years out there, total, several years of it is doing cowboy stuff. And so uh, I worked a host of different research projects, crops research, grazing research, all kinds of stuff. Research is my background, Uh, scientific research. So we would be in the middle of doing something, as storms approached, um, I would notice I would be doing something like a lot of times it required focus on a small area of the ground while we're doing a grazing study or something like that. Well, as storms approached, if lightning was getting close, my hair would stand up um, and it would stand up immediately preceding a strike very close to me. And so there were multiple times where I would be, you know, we would, there would be five or six of us out working and we'd be real like in close proximity to each other. And, and then, you know, and I'm focused on the ground telling, you know, I'm reporting what sub, you know, what species of grasses are there, those sort of things, uh, what species of vegetation is there. Um, because this is the kind of brain-dead stuff you do as a government scientist. And I would look around, and like nobody was there. I would just suddenly be by myself, and everybody had not said anything. They would just take off running for the vehicles, which were usually some distance away, so they would not sound an alarm. They would just take off because they observed that my hair was standing up. I have real fine hair, and I don't know what it is with my body's electricity, but I tend to draw lightning strikes. And so my hair was standing up on the end, I guess. Anyway, that would happen on a regular basis. In fact, such a regular basis that they actually didn't want me around uh, equipment, like sensitive equipment that we were using to monitor like rainfall, soil moisture, uh, atmospheric conditions, things like that. They They actually kind of prohibited me from getting around those things in thunderstorms because Uh, lightning would strike that equipment not very far from me. Um, I guess my hair would stand up, the lightning would hit, and then it smokes like $60,000 worth of equipment. So um, anyway, I think that's probably justifiable to tell me not to be near that stuff. And then they put me in charge of designing lightning systems that would actually take the strike and save the equipment so I spent like a year and a half studying lightning and designing grounding systems to protect all of the millions of dollars worth of equipment out across the Pawnee, uh, which would turn out to be actually fairly successful. I took lemons and I made lemonade. So I kind of shook my fist at the sky and said, that's fine. That's cool. I finally beat you lightning. I know how to draw you to a certain area. And so anyway, so I'm back in this garage, this little building, Lightning is coming in, but I'm in my zone. I'm working on my pickup. But I do notice that there's some lightning strikes hitting fairly close to this garage. That gets my attention because lightning always gets my attention. So I, I remember stopping, and I had one of the wheels off my pickup. I had chrome wheels on it because they were bitching wheels, and that was cool. And, and, you know, I'm in my 20s, so I think chrome wheels are it, and now I'm really cool. So I've got one on the ground. And I remember sitting on, I was sitting on one of the tires working on the brakes and I got up and I walked over to the edge of the garage where the big doors opened. And just as I got to the opening of the garage, a huge strike hit, um, not three feet in front of me and, and I had never stood that close to lightning. But if, if you've ever stood close to lightning, you'll understand what I'm saying. If you haven't, it's bigger than you think it is. Um, the bolt was probably three feet wide and it was absolutely horrifying. It was blue and it was like an iridescent blue and it was probably three feet in diameter. I mean, this is my memory, so it could be faulty. It was huge. That's all I remember. And it was about three feet away from me and it hit the drive, the concrete right in front of me. And when it did... Like there was bolts that went everywhere. It didn't just hit the ground. There was uh, like the Tesla. There's pictures of Tesla sitting around some kind of a coil he made. And he was sitting on a chair pretending to read a book. And there was like these lightning bolts all around him. That's what it felt like. That's what it looked like. Um, it was the huge bolt in front of me. And then... Like I was surrounded, like I was in the midst of this sea of smaller bolts. It fried everything in the garage. And it, it, like a bunch of it went through me and it came (laughs) out my right butt cheek. Um, And it burned a big hole through my jeans. And I remember... It was just, it was definitely a slow motion kind of thing. I just remember reaching back because it hurt, but it felt like somebody had shot me. I don't know if you've ever been hit by shot, like hunting birds or something. That's what it felt like. It just stung. And I reached back and my pants were hot. And I guess I didn't realize there was a hole in them at the time, but it was just hot. And it had exited or... I guess exited out of my right butt cheek, uh, burning a hole through my jeans at the same time. And I remember just standing there like the bolt went away. It lasted in reality, probably only a couple of seconds at the most, but I was stunned and I was standing there silent and I didn't know what to make of it. It was one of those things that you don't have a frame of reference for. And I remember this thought going through my head. Lightning never strikes twice in the same place. And I mean, I'm not, you can't make this stuff up. I guess I could, but I'm not that creative. I mean, no joke, less than five seconds later, a second bolt came down and hit almost in the exact same spot. It was another huge one. And it was more of those like lateral horizontal. It was just arcs of electricity going everywhere. And that one didn't last as long. And it was so loud and it was sizzling and it was, I don't even know if you've ever watched a transformer blow. That's kind of what it reminded me of. I just remember, and I still stood there because it happened so fast and they were back to back. The second one I don't think hit me. The first one definitely did. And that's the one that burned my jeans. And the second one came and, gone, came and went. And I was still just standing there speechless. I didn't even know what to do. I was like, it was one of those moments where you wonder, did this really happen? Am I imagining this? Am I crazy? Am I losing my mind? And so, like, my bottom is still hurting. It felt like somebody had shot me in my butt with a gun and i stood there for a minute and then i went to uh one of the guys that had been with the ranch for a long time was also an emt uh emergency medical tech for you, those of you who aren't familiar with that um he lives several miles from the ranch and so i got in my i put the wheel back on my toyota um and i drove down to his house Just real slow, just kind of in a total daze. I didn't know what had just happened. Like I knew what had just happened, but I couldn't process it. Like when you're standing right next to a lightning strike, it's uh, Mark Twain said that a man who's holding a cat by the tail is getting 10 times the information of a man who's been told not to hold the cat by the tail. That's true of getting hit by lightning. So I drove to Jeff's house. And I remember knocking on the door and Jeff came to the door and I said, dude, I just got hit by lightning and I turned around and I said, and it went out of my jeans, out of my butt right here. And he grabbed me by the arm and I remember him taking me into his living room. He looked scared to death. And he made me lay down on his couch (coughs) and he went and he got a blood pressure cuff and he kept his fingers on my wrist on the inside of my wrist and he had his watch out as he had carried a pocket watch he's just an old not old he was a young cowboy i mean mid 30s late 30s in the cowboy world that's old and jeff was awesome but he had pulled his stop, his his pocket watch out and he had his fingers on my on my pulse and he just sat there for minute after minute after minute it seemed like it went on forever And I said, Jeff, what are you doing? And he said, I'm waiting for your heart to stop or develop some kind of irregularity. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, he's like, do you feel like he's bombarding me with questions? Do you feel faintness? Do you feel lightheaded? Do you feel like your blood pressure is weird? Do you feel like uh, just over and all these questions? And I'm like, no, I feel totally normal. And finally, gosh, he must have made me lay on that couch for at least an hour. And he sat right there with his fingers on my wrist. And he was literally waiting for something about my heart to go wrong. And um, nothing did. I just had a burned up pair of jeans and I couldn't wear them anymore because my butt cheek was showing through them. And so anyway, he said, you just you should have died. Like I can see the hole like you that that went through you that should have killed you. It should have messed up your heart or something. It didn't. Long story short, that's not even short. This is a long story. Anyway, so fast forward a, a, a short bit, a couple months, something like that. It, was, it wasn't It was too far in the future. In some physicals before that, uh, doctors had detected a heart murmur in me. And that didn't mean anything to me in my early 20s. It It just didn't register because I was invincible. I was immortal um in my early 20s but when i went back for a physical after being hit by lightning the doctor said that's so weird you don't have a heart murmur anymore and i remember telling him like well i got hit by lightning and of course he looked at me like you know whatever and i'm like no i really got hit by lightning like it but it didn't kill me and it didn't i don't it didn't any everything that the medic was looking for it didn't happen and he's like, well, on a positive side, you no longer have a heart murmur. So I said, well, I guess that's God's way of fixing. If I had a heart issue, maybe he fixed it. And it, it the doctor looked at me like, is this really happening or whatever? Anyway, so. It's just one of those things in my life that I know God does his work in his way. And if it takes a damn lightning bolt to do it, then so be it. Um, There's not much in my world that rocks my world. And I think it's because of the life I've lived. So anyway, those are two stories that at the behest of my dearest friend in the world, I have now told them. And not that your life is any better for that, but it is something different for this podcast. And perhaps in some way... It's something you can relate to or find interesting. And if you don't, the only thing you've lost is 41 minutes and 11 seconds so far. So um, anyway, that's that. And I will catch you on the next one. And I hope you have a blessed day.